Rebecca Davis is not in the studio to discuss all sorts of interesting things that she has picked up during her week's uh, ideological peregrinations, but she has been up in Pretoria sitting in court every day for the first week of the trial of Oscar Pistorius and joins us now from Pretoria, Daily Maverick journalist. Rebecca, hello. Hello, John. I didn't realise what I was doing was an ideological peregrination, but now that I know, I feel rather tough. Oh, good. I'm not sure the chuffed is the right word with which to respond to ideological <laughs> peregrination, but here we go. <laughs> Rebecca, you were brave enough and honest enough to say goodbye last week by saying that even though this wouldn't, this belief wouldn't affect your reporting, and I can tell you from my point of view it certainly hasn't, that you believed that Oscar Pistorius knew it was Rebus Tienkamp behind the door and he'd fired those shots through the door at her in a fit of rage. Do you still believe that after the week's testimony? I must say, John, it does, it does toy with your, with your prejudgments, this whole legal court case business. <laughs> um, I find every day sort of swayed in one direction or the other. Initially, with the strong neighbor testimony of Michelle Berger and Charles Johnson, I, I, I thought that the, the state was looking very, very strong. But then the testimony of Dr. Jan Stipp yesterday actually seemed to support the defense's version in several aspects. Today we saw Oscar's ex, Samantha Taylor, come out and give a damaging testimony, but on the other hand, perhaps not terribly convincing testimony, given that she was sketchy on a lot of details and clearly has an axe to grind as an aggrieved former girlfriend. Finishing off the day with a security uh, manager at the state just now, Peter Baba, who said that when contacted Pistoria said everything was okay on the evening but was crying, which again seems sort of condemning in a way, not conclusive. I don't know is the short answer, John. I've been going back and forth on it. I certainly don't don't feel as as um, certain about it as I once did. I think, honestly, it could go either way. So, I mean, really, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Barry Rue thinks. It matters what uh, Judge Masipa thinks. And um, I haven't watched much of the television, and it, it's been impossible for me to read anything in the bits of television that I have watched and the tiny bits of audio that I have listened to where she has made an interjection. She's been very firm with the media, John. I'll tell you that. She's getting quite used to being told off in one form or another, though she's well within her rights to do so and completely right. Felt very sorry for an international colleague of mine whose laptop had an unexpected pop-up the other day and had to stand up to be rebuked by Judge Masipa in open court. Um, so from that perspective, she's certainly keeping a tight grip on sort of the running of her courtroom. She hasn't been interceding very much in the actual testimony, cross-examination and so forth. There were people who suggested that... Um, she could have done more, perhaps, to try and protect the witnesses, though that's not technically her job. That should have been the, um, the, state's, the state's job. I think that, again, it's pretty much too early to tell anything conclusive about what Judge Masipa thinks in any regard about the trial, to be honest. So what's critical is, is the timeline, and was there... Was there female shouting at any stage? If there was female shouting, when was it? Uh, we've had an enormous amount of toing and froing about that very critical thing. We have, and it's getting increasingly difficult to keep it straight in your head, well, I find so, at least. 
listening to all this testimony. As far as I understood it from your Hampstead's testimony yesterday, both state and prosecution were in agreement that there could not have been any any screams after the time of 3.17, I believe it was. We've heard now from four separate witnesses that they believe that there was a woman screaming at various points. The state, the defense rather, of course, at pains to insist that this was just Oscar Pistorius screaming. Amanda Taylor, his ex today, saying she's heard Oscar Pistorius screaming. He does not sound like a woman when he screams. And then the rather extraordinary assertion by the defense that they will produce a witness who has heard Oscar Pistorius scream and was surprised by it, which is a rather interesting thought. And also will produce the results of acoustic tests, which supposedly right. prove. But, I mean, how seriously can we take those acoustic tests? Because Oscar Pistorius would have known the purpose of those acoustic tests and would have done his best to scream I, like a woman. I, I'm sure that's right. And the question, of course, everyone's asking is why, why can't we be doing full acoustic tests on cricket bats, on doors and gunshots, which I suppose we may be seeing more of later in the trial. But certainly that seems to be a point of frustration for many people watching at home. Surely there's a way to test this thesis that cricket bats against doors sound exactly like gunshots. So, I mean, part of what the prosecution has to do in the absence of forensic evidence which would be probative or eyewitness evidence which would be guilt-indicating is, is build a chain of circumstances which says this is the timeline and the most reasonable interpretation of that timeline is that Oscar Pistorius had an argument, they fought, she screamed, he shot her. He he went, oh my goodness, I've shot her. Oh, please, 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 please don't die. I will dedicate my life to God if you live, which is entirely possible to believe somebody saying after shooting in a rage or shooting in the false belief that there is a burglar behind the door. Both are equally credible. And they also have to paint a picture of Oscar Pistorius as a man who is given to impulse, who does fly off the handle, for whom shooting some his girlfriend in a fit of rage would seem like something he's done before, more extreme, but on a continuum. How well has Gerinel done with that aspect? You know, John, I get the sense that Gerinel is just warming up. I mean, we saw him flex his muscles a little in, the cross, in his re-examination of Johan Stipp this morning, where he was sort of um, openly mocking Oscar Pistorius' version. He was repeating it in, in court, sort of highlighting the incredible aspects of Pistorius' testimony. So it's certainly my sense that he, we haven't seen what, what Harry now has up his sleeve at all yet. In regards to whether they're succeeding in sort of gradually building up this picture of Pistorius' character, it's hard to tell really because don't forget they also have to produce evidence speaking specifically to the charges relating to reckless discharging of a firearm and so forth. So there's, a, I suppose, a dual purpose in, in some of the testimony we've heard, that it goes both to Pistorius' character, but the state does also have to prove these charges of um, reckless firearm handling. Rebecca, is this, is this something that you are excited about being present at? I mean, there have been stories <laughs> that I've covered, and, and I'm so pleased that I will be boring my grandchildren in years to come with my recounting of the fact that I was there at that story, I was present, I was covering it. There are other stories that I've done that are, that are important, but they're, they're, not pers they're, they're not something I'm putting in my personal file. How does this one rank for you? You know, it ain't Mandela's release, John. I'll say that. I mean, I think that there's a lot of us here who occasionally have moments of looking around and thinking, what on earth? 
are we doing here? And a lot of journalists speak about it quite openly. When it was raining on the first day, a colleague turned to me and said, it's God's punishment for how far we've sunk as an industry. So there is sort of this general sense of a slight amount of shame and awareness about how overhyped this trial is being, although it's very rarely within the control of the individual journalists on the ground to do anything about that. At the same time, obviously, there's, you know, a certain frisson about having, you know, sort of front row tickets to a significant news event that's hogging a lot of um, global news agendas. I was talking to the Guardian Southern African correspondent, David Smith, today, and he told me that the Pistorius story is the most read story on the Guardian website at the moment. And don't forget, that's a, you know, a, a website based in the UK where they should be focusing, you think, on escalations in Ukraine. So it's clear that there is still a great deal of public interest. And from that perspective, it's always nice, I suppose, to be on the front line rather than, than taking a back seat. And I look forward to continuing to read your your thoughts and your reporting on this trial. And they are very good to read indeed, Rebecca Davis. You can read her thoughts and her coverage of the trial on dailymaverick.co.za.